Welcome to I Hate It Here, the podcast for HR and people professionals, making the hardest job in the world just a little bit easier. I'm Hibba Youssef. Hi, everyone. Welcome to HR Therapy. We're so happy all of you are here. Today, we're going to talk about parental leave and joining me is Allison. Our rundown, what are we going to cover today? You're going to meet the cast, me and Allison. We're going to do our Dear Hibba and Allison Q&A section. We'll take live questions and then we'll wrap with what's next. And I have a really exciting surprise for all of you with the what's next. So just stay with me. Allison, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you so much for having me. I am the founder and CEO of Parentally. We help companies turn parental leave into a competitive advantage. That's our tagline. So I'm excited to tell you more about what that means. But effectively, I started working on this business when I was expecting my first child. I went through parental leave and realized that companies have no idea how to actually support this. And in fact, their good intentions of introducing oftentimes very generous policies almost always have backfire aspects of it. So things almost always go wrong. Sometimes it's small things, sometimes really large things. And that can result in big problems for companies. And so my entire world every single day is to think about how do we help companies support expecting parents, men, women, adoptive parents, birthing parents, doesn't matter, to step away for parental leave and come back not just strong, but hopefully better than they were before. Um, so I'm excited to dig into this topic because I it's a very personal one to me. I also have a business that focuses on this. And I would say we're probably the only company that really only thinks about parental leave on a day-to-day basis. And so I can't wait to see the questions that you all have for me. I can't wait to dive in. Without further ado, let's have a poll to kick things off. This is a good one. It's pretty easy. I just want to know if you all have a parental leave policy or not. Allison and I have been chatting about like, do companies have their policies outlined? And so it's a quick poll to see if you all do, let's take a peek at it together. Allison, are you surprised by the amount of people that have a formally documented policy? I mean, 20%, that's a pretty big number that don't have it documented. Yeah. Every place I have worked has had, I've had to like rewrite a policy or help the policy get written. And managing parental leave is not, it's not easy. And especially when I don't, I don't know everything about it. So I'm really excited that you're here to share knowledge with these folks today. So let's get to it. A quick note on parental leave before we dive in. It's oftentimes defined as time off for a mother or father to take care of a new child. A note on the U.S., we lag behind many countries. In fact, we are one of six that doesn't have a paid leave. Um, Eleven states have passed some form of paid family and medical leave laws. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. Average paid week, I've seen 16 weeks. Can't wait to ask Allison if that's true or not. And I stuck in one last stat about the the number has been like 1.6 to 1.8. I think million women have left the workforce during the pandemic. I put this stat in there because I think it's incredibly relevant to what's happening with women in the workplace, working mothers, and thinking about how we can better support them. And that starts with parental leave. So Taking it away to Dear Hibba and Allison, our first question, what are the biggest things companies are doing wrong today with parental leave? You know, fundamentally, there's a lot of conversation around policy. Do you have a policy? How long is it? How many weeks? And I think most companies think once we have our policy documented and once we give 
16 weeks or 20 weeks. Once we maybe even think about creating a gender neutral policy, we are good to go. We are ahead of the pack. We're great. We have now supported gender equity. We've supported working parents. And that could not be farther from the truth. Yes, every single company needs to have these policies. They should have generous policies. But all of the problems that we see come from, well, how do you actually execute that? Because that's great and idealistic to say, we are supportive because we have this policy. But I want to share a little bit of what my experience was, because I think it humanizes how these policies can backfire. And then I'll tell you tactically what I think companies are doing wrong. So I was expecting my first child. I was really career focused. I was one of the first people at my company to go on parental leave. I put together a coverage plan. I went on leave and everyone left me alone because they said, we want to be supportive. We want you to focus on your baby. It was so nice that they did that. Then I came back from leave and many decisions were made about my team that I disagreed with, but then I had to live with. Like it basically torpedoed my results for the next two years because they were too afraid to contact me while I was on leave and ask my opinion. So that's one example. Then, you know, my direct reports were not properly managed while I was out. So their morale tanked. And one of them actually left right when I came back from parental leave because she had such a negative experience. And things like that happened nonstop where I could not get back in. I wasn't being involved in the same projects in the way I was before I went on parental leave. And I had this aha moment, which was twofold. One, there were right and wrong ways to handle this in hindsight that I learned about how to do this right. So it's not just a foregone conclusion that, oh, when people leave for three months, for example, they're just their career is going to fall apart. That's not true. It does not have to be that way. And two, companies do want to do the right thing. They just don't know what it is. And so that's when I started working on my business. Now, I'll fast forward to what I tactically think companies are doing wrong. For example, thinking that they cannot communicate with someone while they're on leave. That is not right. Um, sometimes that is true, but it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And I can dig into that more if we want to. Companies also, they don't think about planning. They oftentimes say, okay, we're going to build a really strong return to work program, which is great. Companies should have a re-onboarding program. But they don't understand that for many roles, pre-leave planning will avoid 80% of the problems that people typically have when they return. So it's almost like I've seen too many companies say, well, we don't care about coverage planning. We care about a return to work program. But that's not really thinking about it the right way. Because by then, people have been passed over. They've had priority projects pulled away. So that's great that you're being thoughtful about return, but also was the planning thoughtful to begin with? Another thing that companies do wrong is they ignore the role of the manager and they ignore the role of the people who are covering for that person who goes out. Sometimes you can see too much focus on that expecting employee and you're sort of ignoring all of the other stakeholders that are involved in this process. So I could go on and on <laughs> with what companies are doing wrong. The last thing I will say on as my answer to this question is the biggest disconnect I see is there was an, an incredible article that came out, I think yesterday or today, I got into my inbox today, about benevolent, uh, I think it was called benevolent discrimination, which is effectively when people think they're doing the right things, but it's actually turning into discriminatory situations. For example, when someone is pregnant and you pull away their 
work travel because you're like, oh, I just want you to be, you know, focus on your your pregnancy and I want to support you. It's coming from a really good place, but it ends up really potentially hurting their career if that's not what they want to do. So I see that all the time of this sort of benevolent. A lot of people have really good intentions, but then how that translates and how that impacts the downstream career could be really negative. I remember when I was managing parental leave, the planning piece of it was the hardest piece because I could never figure out exactly like what was right. And Mm -hmm. I'm thinking back on it and I'm like, I never asked the person taking leave like what they wanted. I just just so huge. Right. And we say that all the time in manager training. It's like managers are so worried to do the wrong thing and they're so concerned about what am I legally allowed to say or not say. And what we always say in the beginning of our manager training is it is not illegal to ask people what they want. And maybe they come back and they say, well, I want to start working day two postpartum. Well, yeah, okay, that is illegal. But, (laughs) you know, if they ask for that, then you can do your research about what is legal. But it's not illegal to ask people how you're feeling. What are your thoughts? What is your long-term career trajectory? Of course, you could change your opinion when you go on leave and come back. But how are you feeling today? And I think just being able to feel comfortable talking is so powerful. I think people are just really afraid to ask. They're like, oh, this is a gray area where like, I don't legally want to get myself in trouble. But like, let's demystify that today. So people understand you can ask. People want you. Absolutely. And should ask. Absolutely. Okay. Next question. What are concrete things you recommend companies not do? Do not shut down systems access when people go on leave. That is something that a lot of companies do because they're worried that it will encourage or allow managers to ask people on leave to do work. In practice, the new parents almost always hate that. It creates a lot of issues for them to get back into work when they come back. So we always say do not cut off systems access. We also say do not make assumptions. So there's all these common assumptions that towards the end of your pregnancy, you want to be winding down or that you don't want to take on new projects or that you don't want to come back into a new role. So do not make assumptions. That's like the number one recommendation. We also recommend that companies don't I mean, this is so obvious, but like the number of times that I hear that the plan, so to speak, is that everyone else will just chip in. That is not a plan. That is the absence of a plan. So those are just a few examples of things that we recommend companies not do. And then I think there's a lot of like things they should do that are best practices. But the assumptions that go into the biases, like all of those create major, major problems if they're going down those paths. Yeah. I would be so upset if I was cut out of the systems. Like that's some real FOMO for me. I'd I'd want to read that. I don't want to come back to like a million messages and not know what was happening for three months, right? I think there's this other assumption, like people want to take their leave and not know what's happening. But the reality is like, we might want to know. So just leave. Right. And there are, there are easy ways for that employee to opt out of the communication. Like Mm -hmm. I just had a baby five months ago and I thought I wanted to be in the know. It's, you know, it's my company. I, w- I want to know everything. Literally in the hospital postpartum, I was like, this was a terrible idea to tell everyone that I wanted to stay up to date on things. So I immediately slacked everyone and I said, I'm taking Slack off my phone. If you need me, text me, please follow my communication plan, which I had already given to them. And that was incredible because then 
I was able to opt out, but it should be my decision in most cases. I think, again, there's always nuance around some of these things, but there are ways for the employee to opt out, but you don't want to say, oh, we're going to cut you off of everything and you have no choice. How do you address adoptive parental leave compared to biological parental leave as the adoption process can require a leave of absence of five to six weeks just to bring the child home, not including any bonding time with the child once home? This one is so tough because the sort of history of parental leave policies in the United States is a rough one in that back in the day, you know, our parents' generation, there really wasn't any parental leave. And so it had to be unpaid. Still to this day, in most states, it is unpaid. But the way that this has worked is previously it would be, you know, there would be a leave for the person who's giving birth. And then the companies realized, no, 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 we want to be inclusive. So we want to provide leave to, for example, a gay couple who's adopting. It became this inclusive idea where I think historically companies were only thinking about that heterosexual birthing couple and saying, we believe that the woman should be able to get leave and not necessarily the man. And then it became like, ooh, but there are some people that are adopting and we want to be inclusive to LGBTQ couples. And so they introduced this concept of primary and secondary caregivers. And so the idea behind that was, okay, well, we fundamentally as a society believe that there needs to be a parent that is at home with this child. And so if you are adopting, then you choose which person's going to stay home with them. But really, it kind of was like, we want the adoptive mothers or the same-sex couple to pick someone to be the caregiver. Well, that is not how most families work or look today. I mean, there are so many dual income families that it becomes even more challenging. So a lot of companies now have said, okay, it's not PC to say primary and secondary because there are a lot of people that are in partnerships where you're both making money, your careers both you are important to both of you. Who's primary and secondary? That doesn't even make sense. And so now how most companies do this is they say there's a bonding leave and then there's a medical leave. This gets really tough for companies that honestly, the average that we see is about eight weeks for bonding leave and then six to eight weeks of medical leave. So I'm not really answering this question because, you know, how do you address it is is tough. I think ideally you work for a company that provides 12 to 16 weeks of bonding plus an additional medical leave for those who are giving birth. And what we have seen when we've done parental leave audits for those large companies that offer those types of policies is the adoptive parents are actually very happy with that because they have plenty of time to go through the adoption process and to bond. I think where you get into trouble is there are a lot of companies that only offer four weeks of bonding leave, and that's not enough. So I don't have a good answer to this. We've done some surveys with really large companies that have hundreds and hundreds of people welcoming or going on parental leave per year. And usually we'll only see a handful at most of adoptive parents. And so my advice is advocate for what you need and what you want, because companies do not have a lot of experience supporting or representing the needs of adoptive parents. And I hate to say like that adoptive parents should take this on because like it should not be up to them to advocate for this. But the unfortunate reality is like it's just not something that companies deal with that often. 
And I think you would be surprised how often you can get what you want if you ask for it. And I would even say that same advice goes for anyone working at a small company. If Even if you're a birthing parent and you are like, I need more than 10 weeks, I think you would be shocked how often people ask for more and just get it. That's tough, though, because then the policy becomes inequitable, like who feels comfortable asking or who doesn't right. feel comfortable asking. I remember sharing with you, like the first time I had to rewrite an, a parental leave policy was when someone came to us and said, I'm adopting. And we were like, OK, what do you want? We literally just asked the employee, like, what do you want? And the employee told right. us and we wrote that into the policy and that became like the standard moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say it's tough to be inclusive, but when you're building these policies, like really think about the different circumstances that people could have and build your policy in a way that is as inclusive as possible. And I mean, my my personal opinion on this, because I know there's a lot of I, I oftentimes get asked, should every policy be gender neutral, birthing status neutral? I don't know, because I do think that there is something valid about the fact that when somebody goes through the birth experience It is a traumatic experience. And so part of me, I I think my opinion today would be I understand and do support the fact that if you give birth and need extra time to recover from that medical process, that is fine. And so it doesn't need to be equal if for, you know, parents who don't give birth, but it needs to be enough for everyone to feel that they have the time to bond. And you said we, we said this earlier, like 16 weeks is the average, right? 16 weeks is the average for, I would say, progressive employers. Okay. Definitely not the average. Absolutely not. I mean, the average is zero, quite frankly. Yes. Um, But when we look at what we do, so we sell a career coaching program as an employee benefit. So naturally, the people who come to us are already more progressive. They already have policies in place. Their average is around 16 weeks to maybe, you know, increasing uh, above that. So it's certainly not the average, but whenever people ask me, if we want to be competitive to attract top talent, what should we offer? 16 weeks is my answer. Great answer. Okay. We have a few more questions. I read an article that companies are scaling back their parental leave. Is that true? Are they really doing this? Absolutely not. (laughs) They are not. Um, So I speak every year to, I would say, 200. I was just looking over this. I think last year, almost 200 companies that I met with, not a single one of them had scaled back their parental leave policy. And I would say, I I didn't track the percent, but it was like laughable how often we would get on calls and they would say, we're in the process of increasing our parental leave policy. Now, there was an article that came out that said companies are scaling back. And when we looked into what data they used for that, it was really interesting. So it was Sherm did this study, and I think 2020, where they went out to like 700 companies and they said, do you offer paid parental leave above what is required? Yes or no? Okay, 50%, I'm making this up because I don't know the exact numbers. 50% said yes. Then 2022, they went to a much larger and possibly different group of companies because they haven't said, did they survey the same companies or did they go to a wildly different group of companies? And they asked the same question. Do you give paid parental leave above what is the legally required amount? And only 37% said yes. Well, here's the problem. The laws have changed for the better over those two years. So now there are more states that actually require more. So previously, if you were offering 12 weeks in Washington or whatever, 
yeah, we're offering more than what's required because it wasn't required. Well, now, no, we're offering what is required. So my answer is no, but it doesn't mean I'm scaling back my paid leave. It means that the laws have caught up to where we are. Also, they potentially surveyed wildly different groups of companies. And so never did they say, are you scaling back? So it was just like a very questionable (laughs) survey. But no, I've never once met a company that said they're scaling back. I just I can't imagine like what employees would say if they're like, yeah, we've decided you don't need these 12 weeks and we're only going to give you 10. I mean, it would just be mayhem. I remember when that article like broke on LinkedIn, everyone was like, oh my God, look at what's happening. Like companies are scaling back. They don't care about us. And when I talked to you about this, you were like, the data set is all wrong. Like there's there's no data to show this. So I think and it's it like could, a good reminder. Yeah, it could be happening. And I just have n- never heard of it or never spoken to companies that do that. And the only thing that I can think of is there are some companies that are changing around their wording where like, and I I almost don't even want to get into this because it's like very complicated, but like, because there are different state laws, the way that they word things can change where like most people would get more leave, but people in California would actually get a little bit less. So maybe you can make a case that for some people they're losing, they're going from like 26 weeks down to 24, but like, I don't think that's happening. I just tell you one of the hardest parts of doing this job is remembering that there are 50 states. Our employees could be in any set of states and the laws could be different for that state. Like it's impossible to keep all of that in my brain on any given day. But I think about that constantly. I'm like, we're all managing these like global workforces and the laws are so different, especially for us in the states, state by state. But like I know California and New York are usually the most employee friendly states where they've been more progressive with their leave and what they need. Someone said writing a policy for every state is a nightmare. That is true. Yeah. Our next question, turning parental leave into a competitive advantage. How can employers do that? Yeah. So I love talking about this because I truly believe it. You only get a handful of opportunities in your life if you have uh, if you have children to completely stop your job and to reinvent yourself and come back better. And that is how we frame this, which is you are so lucky. You get to, before you dive into coverage planning, take a second and think, what is the energy driving, energy lifting in your role today? And what is energy draining? And where do you want to be when you come back from leave? Like truly, where do you want to be? What is your career goal today? That may change in the future, fine. But what do you think today? And now let's build a coverage plan to get you there. And what ends up happening is it accelerates milestones. It cuts out all the junk. It cuts out all the inefficient work that you're doing. The act of saying, who's going to do my work when I'm out, going line by line and saying, this 20% of things, I'm going to put it on pause. It makes you question like, well, if this doesn't have to happen for four months, does it really need to happen ever? You know, it, it can be a really, really positive experience to help you think about not only your job, but also the activities that you're doing it can also be incredibly beneficial to more junior people. So, okay, for example, like I had all these things when I just took my my latest parental leave, all these things that I was doing, it's really not my strength, but there were other people at our company that really wanted to have that opportunity. And so I said, great, let's test it out. When I'm out, you're going to do these things. If you do a good job, if you love it, I'll just let you hold on to it. And so it's a win-win because it gives them a stretch opportunity. And so it's professional development. 
And then for me, I get to offload the things that don't <laughs> bring it on you. Yeah. Uh, so there are a lot of ways that you can turn parental leave into a competitive advantage. And a lot of it is just, it's a forced, a forcing function. And I think especially like for us, we're a very young, fast growing, small startup. And the entire world, it feels like at our organization changes over the course of a three to six month period. So we just found out that one of our teammates is expecting great. It's like, here's this point in time. We've got to be very intentional about how we use their time, their effort, their milestones, their goals. And every single time this happens, it ends up making us better because it forces prioritization that you just normally don't have. I love hearing about that because there's so much opportunity. And it's funny in the workplace, I feel like I've encountered a lot of people that are like, oh, she's going out on maternity leave. Now I have to do all these things and it's awful and all just like a negative sentiment to someone taking time to go birth or be with a child. And so Mm -hmm. it's interesting to reframe it as this is actually competitive advantage for companies to think about what work they're doing and how it's getting divided amongst people and how do we set them up for success when they come back. Yeah, totally. It's it's like an afterthought sometimes for people. And and I really like the lens of this is an actual advantage companies can have if they spend this time wisely. Yeah. And I mean, it is, I don't want to oversimplify it. It's certainly challenging to figure that out. And in my case, we bumped up hiring. So we knew I was going to be out and we realized I can't pause most of my work. And so we can't just spread my work out between the remaining team or they're going to be way over capacity. So what did we do? We decided, well, we were going to hire an ops coordinator now, basically. Well, let's hire her six months early, get her on board and get her running. And so it's not super straightforward. I mean, that's why we run a coaching business because it looks different for everyone, but it is really, really impactful. And it it forces a lot of intentionality that I think, especially for smaller companies can be really helpful. The afterthought, like for small yeah. companies, everything feels like an afterthought. Right. So that ability to be intentional is super powerful. So that's amazing. Okay. So we're going to go to our live Q&A. My favorite part, um, honestly, this whole thing is my favorite part. So our first question from the audience, language is important. How do you recommend we address non-binary and or single parents in our policies and this conversation as a whole? We actually just had a whole session about this at our offsite last week because it's so difficult. And the reason why it's difficult is there are certain aspects of parental leave that relate to gender. And it doesn't matter your birthing status. There are other things that re- that relate to your birthing status. And then there are other things that, quite frankly, we don't really know about. So, for example, it is really important that we acknowledge the motherhood bias. That does not matter how you have a child. If you birth, adopt, surrogate, doesn't matter. By being a woman, research has shown that you will have a pay cut as a result of that, right? So like over time, people will assume that you are less committed. And so, you know, it's sort of this like gender bias. And so, but it's also an evolving thing. And so I think I, I try and challenge myself when I talk about the motherhood bias. Is it, is the appropriate way to talk about the motherhood bias using different language for people who identify as a woman? Is it okay to say motherhood bias? So I think it's, for me, I'm still learning, but I'm trying to be intentional about is this a gender identity thing? Is this a medical thing? And does it really matter? Because I think what we're pushing for is parenting in general should not be a gendered thing. 
And also, I think it's totally right that like there is oftentimes an assumption that there is a partner involved in that experience. And that's not necessarily true. So I think in terms of like the policy language, the safest, quote unquote, way to address it is birthing and non-birthing because it's not gendered. It's like a fact. Did you birth the child or not? And that kind of encapsulates adoption as well. If you're adopting like an older child, that's really kind of how you get around that, where I think it becomes a little bit more challenging is when you talk about the subjects and try to deal head on with like the biases that come into place and providing resources at the organization and what types of resources you're going to provide. Can you speak on leave for pregnancy loss? I'm currently trying to advocate for this to be included in the policy I'm writing slash proposing. And this question, this person is based in Canada. I'm seeing this across so many companies that they are adding it into their bereavement policy. Same. And it's actually happening way more frequently than you would believe. Like, it's not really in the press that often. I feel like, you know, Pinterest did it. And it was like this, oh, my gosh, Pinterest has a miscarriage leave. Yes, awesome, true. And I think they gave a lot of time. But you'd be surprised that it's becoming a pretty common thing for companies to sort of slot into the bereavement leave. I'm guessing this is totally, I've never talked to a company about this particular issue, but I am guessing part of that is it's easier to get that passed through to say, let's just include this in the list of what qualifies as bereavement as opposed to, you know, going through like, how much leave should we give and this, that, and the other. So I think as a first step, look at the bereavement policy and just see if you can add that as a reason, a qualifying event for bereavement leave. Yep. I've seen it most commonly added to the bereavement section as well. Yeah. And I do think it is easier than trying to put it in a parental leave policy because then you get into the specifics of a lot of things that we don't have business being in the specifics of because it's right. like a medical event, right? So like you don't want to require anyone to show proof of anything. You just think bereavement leave is safe. It's a type of loss and it should be covered underneath that if it's not already. Yeah. Can you please talk more about communication while on leave? I was always told it was illegal if somebody is using short-term disability. So I'm not a lawyer. This is my caveat. <laughs> but here is my understanding. There are a few different things that we need to be careful of. One is FMLA, which, by the way, most like only 50% of employees are even covered under that. But if you are covered under it, meaning if you work for a large company and if you've worked at the company for over 12 months, you have a protected 12 weeks of unpaid leave where the company cannot interfere is the language that they use. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of a gray area because they don't say you can't talk to this person, but they say you cannot interfere with their leave. And so companies get really nervous because what does that even mean? And so they make a blanket rule saying you cannot talk to anyone who's on leave because they are on a protected leave. Also, the point about short-term disability same general idea. If the company or if you are funding a portion or all of your leave using short-term disability insurance, you are not allowed to leave. Uh, sorry, work. <laughs> that is the nature of disability. You're getting paid because you are on a disability leave, meaning you can't work. So you do have to be careful, but it's not true that you can't have any communication. So for example, here's the number one complaint we hear from people who go on leave and don't have communication. They say, my company had a reorg, my manager is no longer my manager, and the new manager never reached out. They didn't even introduce themselves to me. 
Well, that's not asking you to do work. So there are a lot of situations where the act of communicating is not actually asking someone to do work. Because even if it was legal, I still wouldn't say people should be doing work on leave. But there's a huge difference between asking for someone's opinion or giving them an update on something versus asking them to work. Yeah, really understanding FMLA and who, who's eligible for it. It Usually I find it in handbooks. It outlines everything. But like us as HR people also should know that. So that's just something to keep in mind. And None of us are legal experts. I always joke. I feel like I could have a law degree at this point. I Google the law so often, but like you're not. So if you have a legal counsel or someone to help you sort through this too, definitely recommend like asking them. But what Allison said is also what I've usually followed. Like telling someone something does not mean you're asking them to do something as well. Yeah. Um, next question. How do you feel about a payback plan if the employee doesn't return to work from parental leave? I do not like that for one main reason, which is if they really don't want to come back. So first of all, this is an edge case. And so you're kind of like planning for an edge case. I don't think you want to incentivize people to come back to work just to get their paycheck and to not do not be invested. What I always say when I get asked about this by companies is like, I don't know, like if they're done they're done. Like, just let them move on. Hire someone new who's really invested because otherwise, the, I mean, the payback period is what, like a few months and then they're going to quit anyway. And like, does that delay? It just delays the inevitable. So I don't like those payback plans at all. I would never. You could not catch me ever writing on those. That just feels like a way to trap your employees. Exactly. They don't want to do. And you already, you don't want trapped employees. You want people there engaged because like mm -hmm. a disengaged employee can have negative ramifications on the engagement of your other employees. Yeah. So why have a, a payback policy? I would not recommend, would not implement if I was an HR leader there. Yeah. On the concrete, no cutting off access. How do you ensure hourly employees on leave do not work? This creates issues with owed wages, specifically in California. This is a great call out. And I actually think I'm going to go back on what I said for this exact scenario, because my world revolves around almost exclusively salaried employees who go through our programming. And so I'm, I'm immersed in that world on a day-to-day -day basis. This is absolutely a real concern because with salaried employees, it's a different dynamic, particularly when they are going on paid leave. This could be an issue so I'm going to go back on that and say, I don't have a strong opinion on access for hourly wage employees for this exact reason that it could actually become a major legal issue. The only caveat I would add to this is think about whether you want to cut. When we say cut access, it usually means cutting email as well as like internet. And one major complaint that we have heard is I now don't have access to you know, the internet to understand about my health insurance or to find the 1-800 number to call the X, Y, and Z. So I think just be thoughtful that if you want to shut down email for people, like don't shut off all access to everything. Yeah. I think that's such a an hourly versus salary discussion point that we all forget. Like sometimes yeah. I build exclusively for salaried employees and forget about hourly employees. And that's like my own learning and gap area as well. And yeah. so just knowing 
what it is you can and cannot do and just being clear in expectations. And like, I think a lot of this gets lost to communication and employees just want to know, like, what can I or can I not do? Mm-hmm. And like kind of making that clear, being like, here's what you can and cannot do and setting that stage for them. It's just level setting expectations. And that's yeah. how I would recommend dealing with this one. Do you have a framework for a parental leave coverage plan, particularly now putting the onus solely on the person going on leave? Yeah. And I want to share our framework here because I think it's actually really important. Our perspective on coverage planning is that it should be driven by the person going on leave for two reasons. One, it gives them agency in their career. And two, they are closest to the details of their work. Now, that doesn't mean that the onus is solely on that. I think that managers need to be trained. They need to be very, very active, and it needs to be an iterative experience. And in many cases, it means the manager will do more work than the expecting employee. But the way we like to say is we want the expecting employee to drive the experience, kind of like what we were saying before, where it's like, Otherwise, people forget to even ask that expecting employee, like, what are your goals coming out of this? And what do you want to return to? And where are your professional? You know, you want this to be a really positive experience. And I I strongly believe that the coverage planning experience in and of itself is a professional development exercise. And so you want to make sure that that expecting employee has agency in that process. But we always say they should be driving it. And then the manager should be supporting that experience. We have on our website, if you go to parentally.com backslash resources, we have a top 10 questions for parental leave that you can download that sort of covers like the major questions that managers and employees should be asking before someone goes on leave. I think that might help give a little bit more direction on the coverage plan. And they're like tactical questions that you should be considering. I love that. I love y'all have such good resources. Highly recommend checking them out. Like really helpful for me, even as we're developing things internally at Workweek. Um, on the note of the coverage plan, I cannot say this enough. I'm just a woman standing in front of corporate America asking you to train your managers. This yes. is something that can be handled so well if you just train your managers to play a part in this. And it also goes back to there are certain things that I feel like as HR professionals, we think everything is our responsibility. We have like high level of responsibility and care for our employees. I would say managers have to play a part in the parental leave policy, especially, or sorry, with the procedures, especially just like in partnership with the person going out on leave. Like, yeah, managers shouldn't drive it per se because you want to say what you want, but they should be an active participant, which I feel like they get out of it a lot of times and say, hey, HR, can you do this? Right. And I always want to be like, no, this is your job. Yeah. No, I think the manager is just so critical. And also what I just see all the time is managers are really good people. They want to do the right thing and they just don't know what that is. Yeah. And so that's actually kind of a good problem because it's much easier to take a group of people that are largely invested, wanting to do the right thing and just tell them what to do as opposed to like train them on how to be a manager. And what I see most often is they just need to be given the tools to do it. And that's easy for someone like our company to do that. Um, It's a lot harder to try and turn a bad manager into a good manager, which is not really what this is. Many people have bad experiences with their managers simply because the managers are not educated on what to do. Yeah. 
So it starts with us. We are going to help those managers. Um, how can we provide additional leave if a baby has medical issues or is in the NICU? Someone just went through Ugh, this. Okay. so hard. It's so hard. And I think companies are so at the early stages of addressing this. So whereas the miscarriage piece, like I mentioned, that's happening actually very frequently. NICU is like, it's very rare to see a company actually address this. What I have seen is a few companies that I've read about that will say if a child is in the NICU or I've seen it phrased two ways. One is if they are in the NICU. Two is if they are born before X week of gestation, then you get an additional Y number of weeks. And so it's just sort of like this blanket policy that if the child is in the NICU, you get an additional six weeks. And really, you know, that's important because I even have a few personal friends who've gone through this experience where they basically use up their entire leave before the child is back home with them. And that's incredibly stressful. And, and you know, as I'm sure many of you are aware, children who are born early, which is a big reason why many children end up in the NICU, they have developmental needs that require extra time when they come home and they need their parents there to support them. And the sad part that I've seen is when I've had friends go through this experience, they basically make a decision. So one, luckily, there are two parents involved in in the situations I've seen, because what they end up doing is they say, "Okay, we were both going to take leave together. Now we can't do that. So, father, you go back to work. I will stay in the hospital all day, every day. And, you know, you'll take your leave after mine. And that wasn't really the original plan. So it's really unfortunate. And I think the answer to that is companies adopting these policies of just giving more time. More time is hard, though, because more time is money, right? Like, and it's tough to tell a parent like, oh, sorry, but can you come back to work, which I do not recommend for how I've handled this in the past. If someone has reached out and said they needed more time, we honestly just ask them what they needed. And we work to be super flexible about when they come back, like if they can work certain days or not work certain days and just maintain as much flexibility as possible, because that Mm -hmm. is really tough. And I think the piece here is like it's also an emotional burden on the parent. And you want them to come back to work and like be okay at work. And they're not going to do that if their child is sick and needs to be, needs them there. And so yeah. for me, I've always approached it from like, what do you need so that when you come back, you are okay with the world in the state of it. That is also very like yeah. friendly. A lot of companies will say, no, you have to come back or like, here's two weeks and then come back. So Yeah. About figuring out like what your employees need. And if you have the ability to be flexible, I highly encourage it here. And I think it's important for HR leaders to think about there are a few different ways to think about this. One is, yes, give extra paid leave, you know, below that, not as good of an option, but still good is can people extend their leave with job protected leave, but it's unpaid. Okay, good. Like if you can't afford that, but that doesn't solve the problem of you need this person here working. So it is It is tough, but there are other ways to give that flexibility exactly like you described. Yeah, just got to think about it. Um, what do you think is the right tenure requirement, if any, for a company parental leave policy? I don't know that I can answer what is the right yeah. <laughs> tenure. What is the wrong tenure is 12 months. Yeah. That is historically what every company required. And that is problematic because it means that if people are expecting a child while they're interviewing for a role, then 
they won't come and work for the company. And it's a terrifying experience for anyone who's expecting a child right now gets laid off that they're now like by no fault of their own, simply because their company overhired and they were part of, you know, a downsizing. Now they can't get a paid leave, even if they get a new job while they're, I don't know, six weeks pregnant. So 12 months I have a major problem with. But I also do see, look, I'm a business owner myself, and I understand the fear from the business's perspective of, well, if we hire someone and then we want to give this generous paid leave, but if they only work for a month and then we give this to them, it's hard, blah, 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 blah. I get that. I think that there are some really great compromise structures here. For example, you can, well, one, you could just have a lower tenure requirement. Like we're seeing a lot of three months or six months. You could also have a sliding scale. So after three, you know, immediate eligibility for X number of paid leaves, paid weeks of leave, or, you know, once you hit a certain tenure requirement, you get some additional amount. So there are ways to be sort of like a compromise between what the business needs are in terms of paying out for this and also being supportive of the employee who's expecting. I'm going to really have to rethink the 12 month thing. I'm going to think about that quite a bit because I've seen that. Uh, You know, we have a tenure database on our website. And so you can see I was shocked. So basically, we put out on LinkedIn, we were like, hey, what are companies tenure policies here? Because we thought almost everyone had 12 months. Shocking how many companies came back and said six months. I mean, in a good way. Like it was it was incredible because I hear about it, but you don't really know until you see our tenure database and you're like, wow. I mean, I think we have 200 companies listed there and you can sort and see who's not requiring 12 months. And it's pretty incredible. I love that. Okay, we have time for one more question. What is the best practice for parental leave policies where both parents work in the same workplace slash department? I always think this is funny because I've done some audits of policies. And I see this frequently, this like weird policy that's like, if your partner works at the same company, you have to share that leave, which makes no sense to me. Like, I guess I haven't thought about if you work in the same department. I haven't really seen that before. So I haven't actually thought through that. But at the same time, it's like, okay, I have a very small company. One of my direct reports was due five weeks after me. It's not like, oh, well, because we're on the same team, like only one of us gets leave. Like, you know, I, it's, I, I don't understand why companies have those policies of if you work at the same. I mean, I, I don't think it should matter. Like, long story short, it shouldn't matter. Agreed. Also say the same, but like, I feel like we're thinking progressively about this. I feel like a lot of companies will probably sneak in something like you don't both get the leave or they'll go the primary and secondary route and say someone has to be a primary, someone has to be a secondary Yeah, I just don't understand why. And it also seems like very, like, how often is this happening? Come on. (laughs) For this person, clearly it's happening. Like, Uh, it doesn't happen that much. So it's like, just give everyone the leave. Like, they're having a child. The intent here is to support them as parents. So support them as parents. Absolutely. Okay. Ready to rock and roll. We're back here with the rest of our um, final wrapping up what's next with five minutes. I did this on time this time. Our next episode of HR Therapy is on Valentine's Day, 214, and we are talking about stress and well-being. I'm very passionate about heart health, and so we're going to talk about stress in the workplace and how we all deal with it. So if you grab your phone, you can take a screenshot of the QR code and start filling out the survey. We'll also drop the link for it. But before you leave, Allison and I talked about a lot of really great things, um, shared our thoughts, 
And Allison, thank you again so much for being here. Like I'm so excited about what Parentally is doing and I care so deeply about parents and the workplace feeling supported, like they can take their leave and be successful. And really the concept of turning it into a competitive advantage is going to is really resonating with me. But we have some final takeaways that we wanted to give you all before you leave. I'll take the first one. There must be a plan. This this one is very interesting. Asking people to pitch in is not a plan. Allison, when you and I were jamming on what are good final takeaways, we brought this up because it seems like so many people don't have a plan in place. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> we're definitely not going to do that. Uh, finally, train your managers. We all know... Managers need help. Just train them. (laughs) Just train them. They need help. Help them figure out what they should be doing. And then the last tip to take away, uh, treat returning parents like new hires. They need an onboarding plan to come back to the organization. So that is just something that I think we forget about. Treat them like new hires. What do they need to know about the last three months? Did something radical change? Do they not know about these things? So that's just three final takeaways that we wanted to leave you all with. So thank you so much for being here. Allison, thank you so much. We're going to follow up with an email, share some resources and links, and please check out Parentally and all the great things they are doing. Also, follow Allison on LinkedIn. She is a fire follow. She has such good takes. And I like love your LinkedIn post so much. So I highly recommend that as well. Thank you, everyone, for being here today. I'm deeply passionate about this. And I think that it uh, the questions you all asked were phenomenal. And I love seeing that people are asking these questions because this is how we push everyone forward and make the work, the workplace so much more supportive for everyone. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, today. Thanks. It was great seeing you all. We'll see you on February 14th. Bye, all. Thanks for tuning in. Keep up with all the latest HR resources by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And if you love I Hate It Here, tell an HR friend. I'll see you next time.